Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. The digital realm has kind of uh, muddied the waters in terms of who is seeing your messaging as a CMO. Your messages are getting through to your CFO's audience also. Your investors are seeing it. On the other side, legal. The audience that they don't want to see is seeing it. And then employees of the company. So your CHRO's uh, audience is also seeing it. So you are in a very interesting place with the dynamics. You control that communication. If you can bring along these other C-suite folks whose audience are also seeing the message you're putting out as you're preparing, as you're... Uh, developing the messaging. So if you can bridge that gap, if you can understand their audience and bring them along the journey, it'll help them in what they're trying to do and whatever they're trying to achieve, but also make you a very strong partner on the team. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, But the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. One issue we hear a lot on this show is how to build the trust and value of marketing within the broader C-suite. For this week's episode, we are plunging headfirst into that issue with three C-suite execs who are not CMOs. I recorded this show live in front of an audience of emerging CMOs at the 2023 Deloitte University Next Generation CMO Academy. My three C-suite panel guests are Susan Sheffield, the Executive VP and CFO of General Motors Financial Corporation, Deborah Gibbons, the Chief Operating Officer of Mary Kay, and Sarabi Varshini, who leads global corporate strategy for chemical giant Selenese. Here's a little bit about each of our guests. Susan Sheffield has had a long career in corporate finance and banking, with stops at J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo Bank before joining General Motors Financial Company in 2001, where she rose through the ranks to become Executive VP and CFO in 2018. Deborah Gibbons first joined the Mary Kay brand in 2013 as their CFO before shifting to Chief Operating Officer in 2018. Before her time at Mary Kay, Deborah held multiple leadership roles at PepsiCo's Frito-Lay. And finally, Sarabi Varshney was promoted in February 2023 to the Global Corporate Strategy Lead for Selenese, a $10 billion by sales leader in the production of differentiated chemistry solutions and specialty materials. Now, get ready for insights from three remarkable women on how to build the value of marketing and how to be a successful C-suite leader. We will also go to the audience for their questions. So with that, here's Susan, Deborah, and Sarabi. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. you. I tend to not sit. I move around, and I ask questions that are meant to surprise you. In a, in, a, in a positive way, in a oh. loving way. Okay. So what I want to do first is I want to go down the line, and I just want you, your names are on the screen so they know your title and your company. So the first thing I want you to do is I ask this on my podcast, and I know you're a listener. Yep. You're a listener. 
You two, you're converts. You're winovers. We'll be listeners. We will be listeners. What's the first brand that you remember in your life as young girls making an impact on you? It's a question I ask every guest, and the answers are always interesting. And then it's why. So, Deb, why don't we start with you? Okay. I was thinking about this answer, and it relates back to before I was at Mary Kay, I was at a long career at PepsiCo, the Frito-Lay division. So I do remember starting, this is when school's starting right now, and I remember my lunchbox and my mom packing the little Frito bag. I can picture that yellow bag with the red banner and Frito. And so I was so excited and proud um, to go to work for Frito-Lay and know the story. But I can remember being in kindergarten, my first day of kindergarten, having the five cent bag of uh, Fritos, which I'm sure right now is 99 cents um, uh, in today's Those financial people. Yeah, that's financial. I was in charge of pricing for a long time. But if if I can indulge just a little bit story, Frito was such, and PepsiCo was such a brand. And if you've worked for these companies, it just like, man, brand loyalty was everything. And we had, no offense to P&G at the time, but you guys own Pringles. We had place uh, like mats in front of our front um, offices and it had a Pringles can and it said, wipe that smile off. And you were supposed to wipe <laughs> your feet on the Pringles Those were the good old days. At, at, every morning. And we were just so like crazy, like, you know, at PepsiCo, KPMG was our auditors, EY was Coke's, so we could never do anything. And Deloitte and PwC were neutral, and so they were Switzerland. And you know, BCG were our consultants. McKinsey was Coke's. You never you did McKinsey. And so when I came to Mary Kay, I was meeting with our boss at the time, CFO, and I was like, "Do you know who our auditors are? They audit Avon." And he was like, "Okay, girl, simmer down. <laughs> You're in a different place now. Let's just dial that back." So anyway, I'm crazy about brands. I love brands, and so I remember my Frito bag. I love your story, Sarabi. How about yourself? So I grew up in India, and the brand that I um, remember fondly from my childhood is Cadbury, oh. and it's a British brand. Mm. Um, and in India, we have our own slew of sweets and desserts to overcome that and introduce a new brand and move people and children and adults from um, those sweets over to Cadbury uh, chocolates was a huge initiative. But I do remember every big celebration, we would get Cadbury's. First day of school, we would get Cadbury's. Those little, they had these little ones and they had big packs and you had these baskets. I fondly remember it, but it's my favorite because they overcame a huge challenge but also because they used emotional uh, marketing. I would encourage you to go Google some of Cadbury's Indian ads. You won't understand the language, but you will feel, you'll feel the emotions. It's very well done. Love it. Susan? I guess what I was think, trying to think about this, a couple things popped into my mind. One was I was probably, let's say, 10-ish, and so it was a long time ago. But Bubble Yum had just come out, and it was a very big deal, right? You know where I'm going with this. And, uh, you know, everybody was chewing it, and it was the thing, and I could still remember the packages, and, you know, everybody had to have it. And then this rumor started about spider eggs. Spider eggs. Spider eggs and Bubble Yum. And it was so pervasive. I mean, I I can remember coming home and talking to my mom about this and like, oh my gosh, they're talking about this at school. Throw out all the Bubble Yum. We can't chew it anymore. And then I'm sure it wasn't the next morning, but shortly thereafter, she said, come here, I want to show you something. 
And we lived in New Jersey at the time, and it was the New York Times she was reading, and there was a full-page ad from the company explaining there were no spider eggs in that gum. And I mean, that was the length they had to go to hmm. to combat something that became a terrible marketing spin. I don't even remember as a child like hearing about how it got Viral started. Viral the internet. Like, but, <laughs> yeah, and there was no internet, right? Yeah. And it still spread like wildfire. So that was, you know, I guess from a brand overcoming mm -hmm some you know horrible rumor that had been that had actually been we Probably were all talking about it by the Wrigley it. company or something yeah and then <laughs> and and then the on the other extreme not food related i guess as a small um, as a young girl i had a good friend who had two brothers and they were playing peewee football and she invited me to go hang out with her while her brothers were playing football and somehow i got hooked on that and I would watch NFL games with my dad. And so that was a big brand, obviously, that was has evolved and come along. And I've had a love-hate relationship with it for many reasons. But uh, What's your team? Um, well, it, that's evolved. I, I mean, I was growing up in New Jersey, okay? Yeah. So I was a New York Giants fan. And I, I still am, but I've... I've gotten a little more relaxed about the Cowboys because they're terrible. So yeah. it, doesn't hurt <laughs> it doesn't hurt to encourage them. It would make the conversation better around here. Um, and then I was a big 49ers fan. Anybody that could beat the Cowboys, that's what I was focused on, frankly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so anyway, that would be the another big brand that was, I mean, I wanted a number 11 Phil Sims jersey oh, when I was like yeah. 12, you know. So favorite podcasts that you financial people listen to? Oh. And strategy people. What's your favorite podcast? Yeah. Well, we were just talking early. I love Pivot with Kara mm -hmm. and Scott Galley. The way it's not financial podcast, but and there's a really good, a real quick uh, marketplace. Yeah. Um, and Kai Rizdal's podcast, yep. especially the I love to share the, the the make me smart five minutes in the morning. It always has some good little. It does. He picks out some little nuggets that you don't usually find uh, in the journal. So that's, those are probably my two favorites. Susan, how about yourself? Um, well, at GM Financial, which is where I'm from, we have just started a podcast. We're very big on, we're a finance company, auto finance, and financial literacy and financial wellness are really important to us. And the team just launched earlier this year, uh, and it's on Apple now also, it started on Spotify. It's called My Two Cents. And I encourage you all to, if you, especially if you have teenagers or young kids, you want to get them financially educated. They are going to college or new, you know, first out of college and new jobs. It, different topics they cover about, you know, should you get a pet or not? How do you save a nest egg? You know, what about your rainy day fund? Invest in savings and retirement. So um, that's my financial one. And then I listen to... I listen to Brene Brown and then 10% um, Happier. Mm -hmm. That's I good. I do a lot yeah. of their uh, podcasts. Yeah. It's Robbie. I'm always afraid to answer because I'm going to fall in your graces as soon as I say this, but I'm not an auditory learner. Oh, you're not? So I don't listen. I okay. read mm. um, the, the usual suspects, Wall Street, Economist, those yeah. kinds of things, but I cannot listen and focus. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. So I'll probably be reading the transcripts of your podcast. I'll send them to you. I'll send them to you. <laughs> I want each of, you, each of you to talk about your role and what might surprise the audience about your company and or your role. Because I think they could probably generally state what you three do, but what would surprise them? So I work for Selenies, which uh, we make uh, basic chemicals and advanced polymers. 
you will, everything that you see in this room has some of the other material that we have produced upstream uh, from the carpet manufacturers backing adhesives or the wall panes or your cell phone camera module, pens, cars, under the hood, all of those products. I, sh I will be able to tell you one of those products. Some mm. of the, our products go into each one of those things. Wow. Um, like P&G, right? It's in yeah. every, every cabinet. Yeah. yeah. That's true. Um, from GM Financial, so as an auto finance company for General Motors, we're, we're here to help people buy vehicles. And I, I think this is an interesting fact that people may not realize, but, you know, a, a car costs basically, you know, forty dollars to $50,000 today. And the number, the total aggregate amount of what we, we call it originate, so the loans and leases that we're, we're originating every year to individuals totals about $50 billion that we have to actually go get funding capital for that. So that's a lot of cars and a lot of dollars. So I'm, I'm always um, forever grateful that we're able to raise that money. I mean, we have to be executing and doing a good job to raise that money, but it's not something I don't think people think about every day, mm -hmm. but we do. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I'm chief operating officer at Mary Kay and also the CFO. And a lot of people will always like Mary Kay, pink Cadillacs, but um, <laughs> it is uh, one of those things put out there. But what we don't realize is we really are um, a, a, a small micro entrepreneurship opportunity for women. Um, we exist solely to provide women an earning opportunity, whether it's 500 extra bucks a month as a kind of a gig or ultimately if she wants to do a career. So while we beauty is our category and the way we do it, uh, we never compete with her. Um, we don't sell in Target. We don't sell on Amazon directly, it's always through her and she sells to her customers. So I always like to say that we're a women's entrepreneurship company and providing women an earning opportunity. I want to flip into talking about marketing and its role in your company. And I know you'll be honest with this, but I'd like you to talk about the value of it. How, how do you see the value of marketing in your firm? And what, if anything, could be done to increase its value? These people out here are trying to, I mean, one issue, they're surveyed before they come here, and one common issue, or one issue many of you have is, how do I communicate the value, the creative value of marketing to my enterprise? So you have a really interesting lens on that. So I'd love you each to talk about that. What's the value of marketing your enterprise? How could it increase? It's a, when I, I supported chief marketing officers when I was at, at PepsiCo and then work with our CMO now, and I always like to think about, it's attributed to Einstein, but I know it's not Einstein. But like, like, not everything that can be measured should be is matters, and not everything that matters can be measured. Um, and I think about that with marketing to a certain extent because it is you get the knock all the time, like you can't really measure it. And but it's important. And being able to you can measure something. You may not be able to ultimately say this dollar of marketing led to this dollar of brand share, but being able to have some measures, it is important, but don't be embarrassed by that you are doing equity building. And often today I find in this digital, you know, I can do this little um, very segmented piece of marketing and these, you know, these, well, I can do, spin this right here in this digital spend and see this, you know, spend, you know, revenue go up in Frisco. That's great, but don't be embarrassed or ashamed. And I think you need to be passionate about that. Just overall, front of top of the funnel, whatever you want to call it, brand equity awareness building, I think is getting lost today in all these digital tools. And I would say, don't be ashamed of that as marketers. That's your job. Um, you're, you're, you're supposed to be passionate about those things and 
you're going to make a great case to your CFO. Why do you care about the brand? Why do you care about it? Oh, my gosh. What? No, okay, you're talking to someone who's so passionate about brands. A brand is everything, right? That's your point of difference. Otherwise, you're racing to the bottom and competing as a commodity. And um, it's what builds your loyalty and ultimately, you know, all those things. So I, as a finance person, believe passionately in the importance of a brand and in marketing, which is, you know, maybe not all CFOs that way, but good ones are. <laughs> <laughs> Susan, how would you answer that? You know, it, it is... Um, and our, one of our marketing folks is here, Ben. I'm looking at Ben. And Ben I and I have too. had conversations, and the team's been in um, my office if they need more budget. And I really applaud them because they know coming to a CFO, I am going to want to know, like, well, what is – there needs – there has to be some okay. accountability, right, for what we're going to spend and a rationale. And as part of the General Motors enterprise, I mean, obviously branding is critical to us, right? And it's it's everything. And so, but it can be expensive. So it's trying to strike the right balance of having a strong brand and and how do we how do we justify the spend for that? And in auto and auto finance, um, captives, captive finance companies, which is what, what we are, typically have very high brand loyalty. And so it's really important for us to have the right programs from a marketing standpoint to make sure we're getting a good the lion's share of the business because that enhances the repeat purchase, which is good for the enterprise. Mm -hmm. So whether it's the marketing campaigns that we collaborate with dealers on to bring customers in or it's what we're doing for dealers and then then it's that customer experience we're creating with our brand because we have the monthly touch point with the consumer it all kind of ties together to make sure that you know we have a strong brand we're creating that loyalty experience so that we can bring keep them in the family right it's always easier to keep someone in the family versus conquesting and, yeah. and the brand is a big driver of that yeah so robbie your products and everything in this yeah. room so <laughs> what's itself. the value of marketing um, so we are a b2b marketing uh, organization and i used to lead the the marketing organization before i moved to the strategy role so it, i get the unique perspective on both sides which is really good mm -hmm. um for us, brand is not as important as it would be in a B2C environment. It is important in having those having a presence in the market. But once you've got, once we've entered into auto and we have 50% of our business that goes into auto, we're a very well-recognized name in the marketplace. There's just maintenance of business from there on. So I look at our marketing folks, our marketing leaders, to bring in customer um, insights. The insights they have into customer behavior, and when I say customer, it's all the way down the value chain, all the way to OEMs that are manufacturing these cars, and even further down to consumers, but mainly in the value chain. What is their behavior? What is their expectation from us? And what is the experience that we need to provide as a company for, to, for driving growth, for getting more market share, whatever it is? We just, gatekeepers are the CMOs. They understand the customer better than the rest of the C-suite. So I feel like that's, the, that's what I would like to leverage our marketing teams for. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMO succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com.
I'd like you to talk a bit about each of you, your relationship with the top person or the senior person in marketing in your firm. What can we learn from your relationship? You know, do you have rituals? What kind of topics do you talk about? Do you share staffing? You know, so is it a healthy relationship, not a healthy relationship? So I'd love, like you to go there because at the end of the day, that's, it comes down to trust and relationships yeah. if you want to move anything forward. I am. Um, I sit right next door to our CMO, and so I don't know that we have a set ritual, Cheryl and I, but we have a lot of healthy conversations. More these days, it's a lot around because um, our technology group, our CIO group, reports to me. So a lot of our marketing tech and our tech mm-hmm. stack, and uh, what's what's going on in that place. And she's in charge of the customer experience and how we use these tools to improve that. So um, it's a lot of ad hoc uh, decisions. We share insights together, particularly with products. Um, So it's just, we're sitting a lot of meetings together. We have a very comfortable relationship with each other. And I I think she feels like she can uh, come to me and and likewise with her and talk very candidly and bluntly about, um, she can, you know, understands the finances of things and what things should cost and what they shouldn't. And Likewise, I hope she feels like I respect her, her craft as well. But no, no formal rituals, but we interact together all the time. What's the toughest issue you've worked recently with her? Oh, gosh. Um, certainly how, we're, how and when we leverage um, some of our new investments. We, we're really big in a Salesforce.com footprint and making some decisions on building out that tech stack to replace some in-house technology versus mm-hmm. and buying off the shelf and what to do. And, you know, debating uh, the, I'm a big, you know, I don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And sometimes she wants to, you know, be, but this doesn't work in Kazakhstan. I'm like, I, I, know, I know it doesn't, but let's get to the 80% of the place in the world where it is going to work. And then we'll figure out Kazakhstan. So um, debates about that. Yeah, yeah. So Robbie, how about yourself? You came out up through marketing. It's a little bit of a... Yes. And so I'm very close to that team because we worked together so closely the last few years. So we do a lot of informal lunches and just kind of knowing what's happening in the team, what's happening with the consumer, what's happening at the customer, the value chain for us is very important. So we have those conversations a lot. Informally, I do try to sit with uh, our sales leaders and marketing leaders together uh, on a monthly basis, Mm -hmm. just kind of just trying to understand what's happening from the economy backwards all to our results and then how that plays into our strategy going forward. So there's a lot of back and forth and there's so much rich information that you can gather in the process and be, especially in my role, because I have to look across the company to be able to come up with a strategy that doesn't, that is grounded in the reality of the world we're in. Uh, we're exposed to different um, economies, we're different industries, all of that needs to come back. But we, we have to have a tight strategy going forward. So it feeds into that thought process. What's the most difficult issue you've worked recently with marketing? The It's the digital transformation piece that we are struggling with. B2C has trained our B2B customers. The experience that they have with Amazon and other places, yeah. they're expecting it from a B2B mm-hmm. platform, yeah. which Amazon took how many decades to get where they are, and we need to get there very quickly. So it's that how we get there, how we do it effectively. And by the time we get there, we have to make sure the board hasn't moved further away from where we are. So that's the big debate. Susan, how about yeah. yourself? The relationship. Well, we, we just had a... I guess he's in the room, huh? Well, uh, yeah. 
And we had a transition this year. So we had a change and um, we had a CIO retire and a, the previous CMO, Chief Digital Officer, leave to go to a job with GM. And so we, we um, created two new roles, a new CIO and that, that came from the outside, and then a new Chief Digital Officer that the Chief Marketing Officer reports to, and she came internally. So I think there's there's been a lot of change, I would say. And um, I think the team has navigated it really beautifully. Uh, you know, the direct impact we have is on during the budget process. But I would say, you know, more broadly as the CFO and the chief digital officer sits as part of the executive team, you know, we work as a group on strategy. Digital transformation is hard. We're in the midst of all that, using data science and testing to make us better um, to drive the loyalty we talked about earlier in the other questions. So there isn't a real ritual um, that I have with Ben or with his boss, Kelly, who's the chief digital officer, but it's more ad hoc of checking in and how or how's the transformation coming as she develops into her new mm -hmm. role and into this new organizational structure. Mm -hmm. We're going to move into a discussion in a moment about your transition to C-suite because you all did that. But I want to stay in this marketing area for a minute or two more. Uh, we surveyed, as I said, the participants. The issue of marketing's value is a common theme. So stepping out of your role in your company, just overall, talking to these folks, what could they do with their CFO, their COO, their CEO to help improve the value of marketing to the enterprise? What would be your advice? You know, one of the things that, and it's really, I, I guess I would say, overall with where we are in our journey as a company, with the technology transformation, everything moving really fast, and, and we've grown a lot in the past 13, we got, our company got bought by GM almost 13 years ago, and so we had to launch new products, and we were running really fast, and we've done a great job of that. But now we've got to get our technology. In some respects, it's doing really well. In others, it needs to catch up so we can leverage the things that the CMO and the team want to do more there. So it's really working together, I think, to, to bring ideas to the table and let's create some count and some more accountability I think is where we are in our you know there's the everlasting problem of there are so many projects and there are only so many people and sure. how do we say no to some things smartly and yes to other things smartly right and um, I think that's just a general challenge that we have um, right now that we're working through and and digital and marketing, digital marketing really are how we're going to move forward and that creating that customer interaction. So it's going to be important for that accountability to be financial also mm -hmm. to the extent that we can support that. I think that's an important part of the puzzle, but it, it is not the only, yeah. the only part too. Debbie, your counsel to the group. I think one being willing to understand uh, placing, having ideas and placing bets and understanding not every bet's going to pay off, um, that's um, part of, I love the book Thinking in Bets, if you haven't read that one, but it, 
but understanding you can't place bets that are going to sink your organization. So making smart bets about things uh, and, not, um, and, and having upfront, you know, one of my least favorite things is when I work with the marketers and they come up with the measures after they, the project's over the spend <laughs> to show that it worked oh, versus having that upfront and thinking through like, how will we measure this? And I can, you know, like, well, if we could measure, we like, no, 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 what are we going to measure? And what will be success, uh, I think is really critical. And then just something, I, when I was reading through your survey results, I think I saw somewhere, someone you know, talked about AI was a topic mm -hmm. or whatever. You guys, you know, AI is probably, besides customer service, um, AI is predicted, as I read a McKinsey report, to probably impact sales and marketing more than any other, right now, any other function. And you guys have a real role, I think, in your organization of learning and taking the fear index down and the curiosity index up uh, when it comes to AI. And I think you can be leaders in that. And so uh, I hope and challenge you around that. Here, here. It's Robbie. So I used to run our investor relations team before mm -hmm. the marketing team before here. So I'll share a view from that perspective. Um, the digital realm has kind of uh, muddied the waters in terms of who's seeing your messaging as a CMO. Your messages are getting through to your CFO's audience also. Your investors are seeing it. On the other side, legal. Uh, they're, they're trying to protect the company. They're, the audience that they don't want to see is seeing it. And then employees of the company, so your CHRO's uh, audience is also seeing it. So you are in a very interesting place with the dynamics. You control that communication. If you can bring along these other C-suite folks whose audience are also seeing the message you're putting out as you're preparing, as you're uh, developing the messaging, A, it'll get you a lot of support in the C-suites because now you have three other partners rather than the CMO pitching it to the rest of the C-suite. So if you can bridge that gap, if you can understand their audience and bring them along the journey, it'll help them in what they're trying to do and whatever they're trying to achieve, but also make you a very strong partner on the team rather than an execute someone who executes just the marketing strategy. Beautiful. Okay, let's talk about your transition to C-suite. You all came out of a function. Yeah. And at some point in your career, someone promoted you to have a C in front of your title achieve something. So talk about that transition for the three of you. How did you make that transition? What did you learn in doing it? Did you make any mistakes? So because everyone, whether you're marketing or supply chain or R&D or finance, you get to that point where you're an enterprise leader. So talk about your learning. I think the biggest change was you go from someone who is presenting to the C-suite to someone who's now influencing and working on decision-making together. So I'm not trying to go for an approval anymore. I'm trying to um, shape the thought process for other, other uh, departments also, not just the one that I'm responsible for. So it's a, it's a mind shift. It's a shift in how you behave and you, how you carry yourself, what you bring to the table. It's not a set of slides anymore. And I think it was really helpful to work with Deloitte on the transition lab that they did and walked me through this thought process and learnings from all the other folks who have transitioned before me to help me do that. From a mistake perspective, I'm still making those mistakes because it's pretty recent for me. The biggest mistake I think I made was from the beginning trying to, trying to put out results, trying to put out the strategy, trying to. I think you take time. You sit back, try to understand what's happening um, in the company, bottoms up, top down, and then try to put out a result. So I think that taking that step back, taking your time to understand the entire landscape because it's not your silo anymore. Mm -hmm. Anything and everything you do has an impact much broader than what it used to previously. 
Susan, how about yourself, yeah, the transition? I'm just to um, add on to that, I think that is one of the, the biggest transitions is you're not so much the doer of the work anymore as you are there to help help the CEO and the rest of your peers shape the strategy and lead and coach your team too, because they're, they're doing their work. And it, it really is a fun perspective that you, that you get to have. And you don't really realize that you're going to see things much more broadly when you're in that role versus when you were in the prior role, when you were very focused on, I, I came up through the treasury and corporate finance area and funding, as I already mentioned, is a big part of what we do. And so I thought about the business from that perspective, but when you get into the C-suite, you get a much broader lens with which to see the business and then hopefully have an impact on crafting the strategy as you move forward with your, with your peers. I think one thing that we've done well at GM Financial is everyone at, at the table appreciates our respective group's roles and how we accomplish our strategy. And so there's a ton of respect and a ton of trust around that. And I think that's really important. Um, I think not so much a mistake, but maybe um, I started off strong, like initially, like, go sit down to meet with your peers, you know, how can mm -hmm. in my new role, what's important to you? And I didn't follow up on that in hindsight, as I look at it, um, like I probably should have more quickly. And then a challenge for me personally was my predecessor had been there a long time, beloved and big personality. And so you have to like, you know, that's not, I mean, I don't have that big personality. He's the life of the party, but we were a good balance to each other. Mm -hmm. um, and you have to, you have to get comfortable in your own skin. I think you were using yep. that example yep. earlier yep. and that, that's what made me Think about, you know, I'm, I'm me, and I, I still got, a, I got asked to step into this. I did raise my hand and say I wanted to do it. So you just have to, you have to be comfortable with who you are. And I think it took me a little while to kind of, you know, it was a little intimidating, honestly, to step in, to follow someone, someone like that. Yeah. That's good. Debbie? Um, I got recruited into the CFO role from PepsiCo, so I was backfilling someone who I never got to meet. She had left um, or retired and you know, been a, a good gap. So I never, it's been interesting hearing about my predecessor and never having met her, but I was uh, surprised and I guess I shouldn't have, but having that C in front of your name suddenly like, you know, people were watching you. I didn't appreciate people would watch you in a meeting. And, you know, like, oh, she didn't like what I had to say. I'm like, no, I had a headache. Um, but, I, you know, I just, you know, I didn't appreciate that, you know, everybody watches, like, every word, every body language. And I would, you know, probably speak too bluntly and a couple times just share my, and, you know, like, well, that was a dumb idea. And it just was, you know, but, and it was horrifying for people. And so um, I had to really learn how much people suddenly watch every word and hang on every word, you know, your expressions and every word you say. And so I, I don't, I like to be myself and be authentic, but you've got to yes. balance that, especially mm -hmm. when you're, you know, maybe three levels down meeting with people in a, in, you know, is sitting in meetings. And I would forget that there were a lot of what I call the meeting tourists where someone would bring, you know, somebody three levels down and they'd sit along the walls like over here and they really didn't. And I would forget and I would start talking very candidly, you know, with you know, one of my people and we would get, and then last I was like, oh, man, Deb did not like that idea. And so, 
um, learning to remember that there's just this whole other um, elevation to things. And so um, I think, and to that end, I'm still trying to be, remember sometimes that um, your presence in a meeting or just asking questions can some down shut down conversa- critical yep. conversation yep. ideas. And yeah. so there's sometimes you've got to step out and let, especially if it's in a crisis or working issues, you need to step out and let the team work because whether you mean to or not, people will, you'll influence the conversation in not a great way, maybe. Or when to ask your question. Yeah. Because yes. Oh, yeah, can, wait till the end. <laughs> or to yeah. comment, you need to wait till, that's yeah. good yeah. advice that I've gotten to just. I learned that too, and I would, I'd end with saying, here is a thought I had that I'd like you to consider, but not act on. Yes. Mm-hmm. Or here's something that I think I'm just asking, right. I'm not telling you to do yes. something. Exactly. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. So I think you have to be really intentional and clear and deliberate and overcorrect for that. Because, for sure. I don't and know how it many happens times, internally. Yeah. And if you have agencies who no. report in okay. for you, they will respond to right. will run with everything. Yes. Right. And that costs something. Yes. yes. Right? So just be yeah. hypersensitive yeah. to that. I, made that I don't know how many too. times <laughs> my first year, like I just asked a question and I got back a PowerPoint presentation. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I just Whoa. A question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hey, let's bring up the lights and let's go to the audience for your Q&A. We'll do it as we did this morning. We'll run the mic to you very fast and you say your name, the company to help our guests and then your question. Chase with Lockton in the insurance. Chase Wagner with Lockton. Thank you, Jim. Yeah. Um, Thank you for being here. Uh, I'm a client. That's why I know. Yeah. I'm I'm a customer. Oh, thank you. As are we. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can sit down now. (laughs) I was curious who, uh, who has impacted you the most as a leader and why? I can, um, because I got to run into him recently, ironically, both getting our physicals. Steve Reinemann was CEO at PepsiCo. Mm -hmm. He was president of Frito-Lay when I started. And I just remember literally my second week on the job and I'm standing in line getting my lunch and he's right but one and just such a humble leader um, and he is standing in line in the cafeteria no executive dining room for him he's standing right behind getting his pizza and he just says hi I'm Steve I'm like, yeah, I know who you are. <laughs> and um, he like he's like do you have any lunch plans let's sit down and have and, and just like I bet you enjoy that lunch. Uh, I'll never forget. <laughs> but he led by example. And he, I just remember that and stuck with me. And I try to live by that now. But so it's just one of Great my story. first, like, you know, working with the CEO. Yeah. All right. Hi. Thank you again. My name is Allison. I'm with admins.com. And I'm curious to know, given the uh, ups and downs of the recent uh, economy and how that has impacted particularly your relationship with marketing, investing in marketing, and uh, how you've navigated that. Susan? You know, um, it's been a lot of ups and downs, but for for us, it's been sort of ironically a perfect storm in in, in the sense of great weather. So perfect weather, like all the way around, which I know is not what's generally happening anywhere, but... um, you know, we had the way our business works and all the stimulus in the economy and the the lack of new car production. We actually have had some of our most profitable years. And we've been through this, still on our journey of really cementing ourselves as the captive because we've only been part of the family for 13 years. So 
um, and really doing the full captive thing since 2016, let's say, in earnest. So I haven't had to say to Ben or the group, like, mm, you know, that's, you don't, well, I do tell you, you don't get everything you've asked for, but. <laughs> but you're not cutting the budget. <laughs> but you always ask. I'm not cutting it in half. <laughs> yeah. And there, we haven't had to, like, go on, a, you know, a lot of austerity measures or anything. So um, there have been cycles that we've lived through that we have had to do that and had to take some really tough actions. Um, but um, in this zone we're in, it's, um, you know, we try to set ourselves up so we can navigate through cycles. And yes, we may have to tweak around the edges, but it's to try to provide some consistency. And we do that by having strong balance sheet access to liquidity so we can continue to help people get in vehicles every day and have the, have the money to do what we need to do. So Robbie, do you want to put any spin on that? Because you're looking at industries all over the world. So anything, any insights about what you're seeing globally? So in the B2B space, this is, this is the time, this is the year when there is tightening. And I think the, everybody is putting up to the table. All the C-suite um, members are having the conversation and coming up with ideas on what we can do to preserve enough for growth, for driving future growth, but also make it through this year and make it through the tough times. So we've had the tough conversations and we're all participating in it. It's not like one group of marketing go, go after that budget. So I think it's proportional. It's, 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 it's a good discussion, but it has to happen in a time like this. We also just uh, closed a big deal. So we're in, um, in, in the synergy ages, you know. So it's, there's a lot happening right now and everybody has to do their part. Next one. Anthony Taguchi with Vanguard. AI was mentioned. What other ways can marketing do to contribute to future-proofing the business in the next five, 10 years that you as CFOs can get behind? Wow, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. Just Probably. a quick reaction. So, like we were talking about, because customers and any interface with customers is where this will happen most. You're at the learning table before everybody else. Yeah. If you can bring those ideas to the table and help the rest of the C-suite understand how how you're de-risking it, how you're, which are the right vendors, what to look out for, that education if you can bring to the table, you will help the other departments like say your CHRO figure out productivity measures. We have gaps in labor market. We don't have people to fill those positions. Is there AI technology that can help fill those gaps? That kind of conversation you can lead uh, because you are at the forefront of this um, big evolution that's happening. Debbie, quick reaction to that. Yeah, no, I would agree. And yeah. the way you embrace, whether it's AI or other technologies, but you do, you have your finger on the pulse of what's happening with customer and consumer. You, you're the expert in that. And so bringing that forward and seeing those changes, the insights, and being unashamed of how you're bringing those insights forward because you don't know how it could, I love that example of, that could have implications for your labor force and your CHRO needs to know that. Like people are expecting, we've had this great insight on, you know, a Gen Z or Gen Alpha, is it Alpha that's next? Mm -hmm. I don't know, but, you know, knowing that they're the workforce of the future, like that it can turn into an HR recruitment and retention insight. So being, being unashamed about having those insights insights and evangelizing those, it's really important. Another thing that I look to our marketing team uh, to be closer to are these very, very big pithy topics that are not clear whether what's the noise and what's really happening around sustainability, what it really means to the bottom line for a CFO, for a CEO, mm -hmm. what it really means um, for, uh, for recruiting, DEI, and then uh, generative AI, what it can do for different yeah. folks. So there's a lot that you guys have your pulse on that the rest of the C-suite would love to hear. Back row. 
Hi, Allison Colbert, The Home Depot. We've been talking a lot about recovery and managing our mental capacity. Um, and just given the high pressure jobs that you're in, I'm curious if there's anything you do either during your work day or even in your personal time that helps you with some of that recovery and making sure that you're bringing as much of your headspace as possible. I'm laughing because we were talking a little bit earlier about where you listen to podcasts. And I've just personally adopted a ritual of sauna and cold plunge. <laughs> Not in the office, but in the evenings. <laughs> I don't, we don't know. But um, uh, I've become, my husband laughs at me, but I have become just an unashamed uh, disciple of Dr. Peter Atia and his podcast. Oh. If you haven't read Outlive, you must read it. Yeah. Um, and so following that um, and just trying to make some time and focus on there is really critical. And, you know, his last chapter about your mental health and how you bring that stamina things is so critical. So making those times and carving those out is really critical. And I'm a big fan of a cold plunge. Just <laughs> I, w- I would say I... During COVID, I tried to learn to meditate a little bit more. I think I mentioned I listened to the 10% um, Happier. I read the book and then listened. I have the Calm app and 10% Happier, so you can take different <laughs> courses. I think what I learned, though, is you don't, you don't, doesn't have, don't have to set aside an hour or 30 minutes, even if I get the 10 minutes, mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's good enough. And they'll tell you that in it, that that's, that's good enough. Um, but I do think it's important to um, find some time, and it, it can be hard when you have, you know, families and young kids or aging parents, you know, um, it's hard to find the time. So I think the, the meditation piece is one that, that I've tried to focus on and taking time off, which yeah. is yeah. something that I'm guessing we're not good at. Um, I haven't been good at my, my team of many years would tell you I was a terrible example of that. So that is something I have consciously tried to change. Because if you don't do it, they won't do it. And if I really mean it, then I need to do it too. And I do mean it. So it's... uh it's encouraging doing it and then then and then don't they... sneak around about it like exactly that. No, like, i'm out i'm, I'm going out over it's, here. it's five o'clock yeah, i'm out, I'm out. You know, or, you know, right. yeah so yeah so robbie what about yourself how do you stay very much fresh? like meditation i found the power of breathing and it's the simplest thing to do and if you just pay attention to your, yourself the whole day you'll realize you don't really breathe during the day mm. um, just taking the time making space for it in between meetings as you're sitting in the car in traffic rather than getting frustrated about it that's your time to breathe mm-hmm. it's just Choosing some of these very simple tips and tricks uh, can really help bring the stress down. And the second thing I've realized is there will be a lot of stressors at work. Which are the ones I'm really going to stress about? Um, There are some that I cannot do anything about. There are some that I really can have an impact on. I try to focus on those. So just also trying to um, categorize my stresses and only worry about the ones that matter. I think going to Home Depot and starting a home repair project. Yeah, yeah, there we go. There we go. That's what we should have that's said. That's good. That's a de-stressor. Now, for me, that's kind of a stressor. Yeah. For my wife, it's not. I'd like you to put yourself in their position. Let's say they're, they came up through a marketing commercial background. All of a sudden, they're promoted to the C-suite. And you know they're coming from a marketing background. What would you recommend they do in their first 60 days? I mean, I would recommend what I started to do and then didn't continue to follow up on would be go meet with your peers. You know, you you probably do know a lot about their business, but don't 
assume that completely, yeah. right? Ask the questions um, and check in with them regularly. Ask them how you can, what you can do to help, follow up, um, share your ideas with them. I think it's just, you know, it's, an, it's another chance for you to enhance your network, right? And, and it's going to be important so that, that you create that relationship so when your voice is heard at the table, um, it has the meaning um, that you want to have behind it. So I would really encourage encourage that um, as just you know one quick takeaway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and two things. You know, what you said, Susan, resonated with me because I remember I was being so careful when I went to Mary Kay to practice, you know, seek first to understand, then to be understood. And um, I was so cautious having listened to colleagues who had left PepsiCo and other, you know, get advice, you know, really understand we're going to. So I did that, but then I was slow to act on change. And I remember talking to my boss, kind of doing a, you know, a 360 review. He's like, you know, you came in here talking about change, but I haven't, you haven't brought that much change in here. And I was probably too respectful uh-huh. to the, you know, like, oh, and so, um, following up on that and then keep up with your peers like here um, and don't let that go because as it's it can be lonely being in the c-suite and being the cmo and you're the decision maker so having a good network because um, you'll have fellow cmos now um, out of this group and having that and pinging them and uh, you know using zoom now is a great thing to keep in so don't lose this network you're building yeah you'll be amazed at how much in common yes of the things that you're dealing with and it's a great place to get ideas and i'll tell you by example it's so true what you're saying Tabby, because as soon as generative ai became a thing guess who we called each other this <laughs> yeah, was yeah. the group my right. cohort from this uh, this same academy a few years ago we got on a call and was like what is this what do you know and we're all exchanging notes about how we're going to incorporate it, how do we lead this within our firms. So this is a really good, um, this is really good advice and it's very practical. I love your advice. When I entered the C-suite at P&G, I went to every of one of my colleagues on the C- in the C-suite and I had two questions. What's important to you and your teams? How are you valued? How are you rewarded? And how can we be more helpful to you? <laughs> and honestly, after 10 of those interviews, I had my agenda. Mm-hmm. I had my, and it was a corporate agenda. It didn't come out of my function. It came this way. Very clear what needed to happen. So the clarity of your impact will come from those interviews. For sure. It's that simple. And they have nothing to gain but your success, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. So now what I want to do, we're going to repeat what we did this morning because you were so good at it. I want you to, I'm going to do a quick lightning round on a quote, an insight, a thought that happened over the last hour that is actionable, that you want to share, you want to act on, you want to think more, you want to read about. So I want you to do this. Speak loud enough. We may not be able to get, well, we could probably get the mics to you quickly. So anyone who wants to start the lightning round, actionable insights that are helpful to you that you're going to take home. Um, Jen Acera from Walmart, um, what you guys said about presenting from presenting to shaping perspective. I love that. Yeah, it's great. Powerful. Nathan from S&P Global, breathe in traffic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's a good one. <laughs> Sounds like a new book or a new yeah. podcast. Yeah. Yes. Caroline from Ford Motor Company. Um, the piece I took away was really around Whatever we're marketing out there is actually affecting your customers too, whether it's your investors, whether it's your employees. Um, and so making sure that you're getting kind of that, that input across the board. Yeah, beautiful. 
Krista writes, well, Jackson Family Wines. I think for me, it's it's really about how we find value with each other. And I, I think you said accountability. Yeah. Uh, it may not be a direct measurable revenue or like KPI, but accountability is really important and mm-hmm. it keeps us all on track together. So Great. Super. Emily McDonald, British Columbia Lottery Corporation. Oh. Remember, everyone's watching everything you do yeah. all the time. <laughs> good one. Yeah. Good afternoon. Mike Tripp with Toyota. Equity building, even if you can't measure. You need trust with the CFO on that one. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you, yeah. Not everyone feels the way she does. Yeah. But so you can get them there. You can get them there. A That's good right. marketer will get them there. You can get them there. <laughs> yeah. So, Stacy, you know this is coming. Last word to Stacy. One of the things that I often will suggest to my marketing clients is, and it's sort of along the lines of going around and making the rounds, but also that people love to help. And so asking your stakeholders that you're most scared of to help you be successful is a really, not sneaky, not sneak around about it, which is one of my favorite quotes, by the way. But asking for their help and enlisting them and say, listen, we're really trying to figure out a way to demonstrate the value of marketing in a way that you believe. Like, how can we do this together? And all of a sudden, it changes the dynamic from adversarial to collaborative. Mm -hmm. And everybody wants to help. And so I think there's also a way to leverage that to your advantage. That's a beautiful thought, Stacey. My CEO, when I was at P&G, said to me, and we had lots of business lines, of course, if we had a new idea for a new initiative, a new organizational initiative, you know, go to your worst critics mm-hmm. and listen, yeah. but go to the ones who are the advocates and test. So listen to the complainers. You know, there's something behind what they're saying. Understand it, but don't slow down. Go where the pool is to, to test it. I mean, it's a beautiful thought. Mm-hmm. And, and then when you have the data, you can come back to the tracker and I listened to you, we tried it over here. Your comments helped us, and they're already, you know, they're already on the adoption. Jim, could I add to that? It was just yeah. when, when you said something, it just reminded me when I was at PepsiCo, big believer in 360, and I had a boss who would listen to you all year about who you complained the most about, and he made you put that person on your 360. <laughs> right. and, and it was like, listen to your critics, and I learned that. It's yeah, yeah. amen to that. Super. Okay, well, let's give it up for our panel. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Awesome. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.